because we we have we've set the precedent that we're doing them in story order, haven't we? Yeah, so we may as well do solo, solo then row one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one to talk about this because it's really because in terms of the story, in the context of the story, this is the order of the witch to watch them, but. These both these films are so reliant on being prequels to stuff that's already come. Yeah, they only should we get into that? Yeah, that's, on that's the recording. Getting, yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Omcast. My name is Dom. As one half of the Omcast, I'm joined by Tom. Say hello, Tom. Yes. So we now live in a world for the sequels, prequels, remakes and reboots. We understand that sometimes life gets in the way and you're not always going to be able to catch up before a new one comes out. With that in mind, we're here to discuss our thoughts on the highs and lows of some of the biggest franchises in cinema history, before we find out if the new one is worth seeing. This week, we continue our epic chronological rewatch of the Star Wars franchise with the Star Wars stories, Solo and Rogue One. Well. 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 So this is quite a big jump we're doing now. So These are the franchises that killed off many directors. Yeah, this is the, we, we've jumped immediately now because we because of the we've talked about it last week about the why we've chosen to cover these films in this order. Um, but what it does mean is that we've taken a massive leap now from the George Lucas controlled era of the prequels yeah. to the Disney controlled era, the modern era of Star Wars. Yeah, um, and now what we have now are these two movies that they made, which they've come under the bracket of Star Wars stories mm-hmm. and what they're both set in a time between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. Yeah. So this is like a really interesting starting point that we're looking at here for the for the entire sort of in the entirety of the franchise really because yeah. if you look at it from sort of a macro sense we're looking at the way that Star Wars has been made with the prequel trilogies which is by one person mm. and then we've got these which are made very much in a corporate yeah. sensibility, then you get to the original trilogy, which was this cacophony of perfection almost. And then you get to the sequel trilogy, which again is done in like a hyper corporatized way. Mm. So it's really interesting to see how each era has its yeah. own effect, especially with these because they're treated so differently. Yeah. They're not part of like the main like starts. Skywalker saga. No, but what's interesting, like in in comparing them to the prequels, is that they both rely on that that for, that pre knowledge that you know where you're going. Like they, yeah, you know, there's you a have, presupposition to everything within these two specifically yeah. that you need to have a comprehension to see where it's going to end up. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like it's almost like these guys got it better than George Lucas did because this like scratched the itch and yeah. gave fans what they wanted more than the prequels did. Yeah. And that was made by the same creator, so you would have mm-hmm. thought that he got it, but for whatever reason, these guys... And I say they get it. I mean, th- there's a lot in these movies, and they do them in the, in the sequel trilogy as well, where it's like weaponized nostalgia. Yeah. Um, and it's targeted, and it's a little bit cynical. Well, it's not a little bit cynical. It's very cynical. Um, I, I wouldn't call it cynical. Um, I think it's... They they know exactly what they're doing mm-hmm. in like you say in the sort of the weaponization of the nostalgia yeah and being able to target that in such a specific way. But with any of them, you can sit, you can clearly see that like a lot of love and attention has gone into this because mm. they aren't they aren't 
made by people that are specifically cashing in. It's not made by algorithm. It's made by people that grew up with Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, and that's the era we've got to now, yeah. It's like a case of we're now in the era where the filmmakers coming up who are making these new movies. So obviously we had um, is Ryan, uh, Ryan Johnson. No, sorry, not Ryan Johnson. Um, Gareth Edwards, who yeah. made Rogue One, is of that generation of filmmakers yeah. who are, that were inspired to become filmmakers off the back of Star Wars. Yeah. And same with J.J. Abrams. What's interesting, like, if we're going to talk about Solo first, because yes. we sort of said we'll talk about Solo is that Solo was originally going to be directed by people like that, people of that generation who grew up with Star Wars. But then because of that corporate Mm -hmm. mentality, they got kicked off the project halfway through filming. Um, And that was uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who we're big fans of. We love those guys. Mm -hmm. They're the guys who did like 22 Jump Street and 21 Jump Street. They did the Lego movie. They wrote... um, spider-man into the spider-verse yeah and they're fucking great like meta commentary really really funny stuff they started making solo they cast their cast they were the ones who got donald glover in and um what's the name of the aldrin iron right iron reich who plays um Han. and they started filming and then midway through disney weren't happy with the direction they were taking it they were going to make it more of a sort of slapstick comedy by the sound of it it was like a yeah from so from all the it's never really officially been no sort of confirmed but a lot of the onset reports was that it was a lot of um there was a lot of like free-flowing improv and it was gonna be a lot more light-hearted it was just gonna be sort of go with the flow Mm. the sort of thing that you would expect from a solo film yeah but what we got was different yeah and ended up being directed by ron Ron Howard. howard yeah so like good old faithful yeah like a sta- mid- safe pair of hands, strong and stable. Yeah. For middle a strong and stable government, you get Ron Howard. <laughs> middle of the road, Ron. Yeah. It, ludicrously inoffensive. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? And like, I'm still, to this day, I watched it again this week, I'm amazed that it is. it holds up as well as it does. Yeah. So I remember going into Solo. I'm amazed that it's comprehensible. Yeah. Because like, we'd, we'd just seen something similar happen with um justice league yeah where halfway through the filming and that was different circumstances Zack snyder wasn't fired from justice league but he stepped away from the project halfway through and another director turned up and took over joss whedon so you ended up with this horrible frankenstein monster of a movie which we talked about at length um but that's what i was expecting for solo i was like oh god what is this going to be this is going to be like half of it is comedy and then they're going to get another guy in halfway through it's none of it's going to match up it's going to be horrible and also there's that thing that we all sort of fought against that we didn't like the idea of a han solo Mm. origin story no one wanted it but also nobody wanted the film because they were like we just had a star wars film like four months ago there was fatigue of the franchise that it, it was coming off the back of the last jedi which was very divisive um, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks' time. Mm. But that was like, that had divided the fan base and a lot of people weren't happy about it. Then they had this, which no one asked for, and it just felt like too much. Yeah. And part of that, so what's happened now is as a result, because Solo, despite the fact that I think the film itself is good, I like Solo as a film, it didn't do very well commercially. Mm-hmm. And as a result, that whole idea of them doing these Star Wars stories has kind of been shelved. Yeah. And they've just, they've, ratcheted everything way back in terms of film production. Well, they've elbowed it all into Disney+. Plus, and now yeah. it's going to end up being Disney+. Plus. And then, to be fair, watching it, and again, 
watching it now in the context of Disney Plus and having seen the first couple of episodes of The Mandalorian. Don't know what you're talking about. Don't get it in this country. Um, no, having heard about the episodes of The Mandalorian and how well that's being received mm. overseas by the people who are paying Disney. Um, I would like, I feel like this could have been better. The solo movie could have been better as a series. Um, yeah. Because I'm like, it's, it's immediately, it's all about the underworld and all the, the, the rival yeah. games and stuff. You've got char- likable characters and it's, I think it could be, be episodic. It could, it could be episodic, but I think the, the, the issue that I have with Solo is that I find it very, very forgettable. Mm. Yeah. I find it that once you've seen it, you've gone, oh, that was good. What was your favourite bit? Oh, um... And that's yeah. it's, like, really hard to pull anything that yeah, strong out of yeah, it. Yeah, I know what you mean. So to extend it over something like eight to ten episodes could work, in a, but it would have to have, like, a different tone. It would have to be... There would be a lot more to it. But then yeah. I think it would have felt like a lot of the stuff that was... Like you say, the weaponized nostalgia would have been forced. Yeah, I guess so. Felt a lot more drawn out and a lot more. Um, li- I would have been more uncomfortable watching an entire forty-five minutes to two hours of how him and Chewie became friends, mm-hmm. rather than that's how they did it. Yeah, like I don't care. I don't re- didn't really care before how they did it. I just knew that they were bros. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's the over-explaining of things. It's like, yeah. this is how he got his blaster. The worst bit where I almost like got up and walked out of the cinema was the bit where they gave him the name. Oh, fucking... I hate that bit so much. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So this is the idea that Han is just Han. He hasn't got a surname. And some yeah. Imperial officer, when he's trying to sign up for the um, for the Empire Flight School or whatever, goes, oh, I haven't got any people. Han Solo and then makes it up and that's yeah. the name now and it's like no there's a massive legacy behind that name now we've got his son Ben Solo and this has all just come off the back of some rando fucking yeah. and it's just something that someone's like oh yeah it kind of worked in Game of Thrones and they're like Snow and they've all got that and then just call him Solo and you're like no it doesn't really work that way but even that if it had been like yeah but that's like there's more if they'd said oh yeah they call all um, bastards from Corellia called Solo yeah. Fine. That's like whatever. But like, no, you just literally just made that up. Just no name guy just you, gave you. You could have just gone Han Billy No Mates. And then it's yeah. like the, the, the fucking, the I'm Han Billy No Mates, Captain of the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. <laughs> like in, in, in A New Hope. It's like, that's a very different film. <laughs> yeah. Odd. But that's what I mean about it. Like, yeah, it's, I really like it. And I think like, especially coming from the prequels, because what it gets into immediately and how you, it jumps you into the middle of it in terms of that opening scene in Corellia is like what's going on down on the surface, like mm-hmm. the people underneath everything, because having just watched the prequels, the prequels, like they all take place in fucking skyscrapers at the top in penthouses. That don't exist. That don't exist, yeah. And they're in like, you know, they're in these palatial like, you know, temples and stuff and walking down never-ending corridors and whatever. Whereas this, like, immediately, it's dirty, it's yeah. dark, and it's... It encapsulates the used universe that yeah. Star Wars is known for. Which is what it was always in the in the very beginning. But again, it like, this one is the most grounded one because it's got no, there's no Jedi or barely any even mention of a Jedi, I don't think, ever at any point. 
Don't think so. It's just these people trying to make a living, get out from underneath these different crime syndicates that are just fucking about. The Empire's there, and there's this presence of the Empire. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's good about the way, if you watch them in the way we're watching them now as well, is that it, you get to feel the weight of the Empire, if yeah. you like. Because you watch this and then Rogue One. Yeah, the Empire has a tangible presence like throughout yeah. this entirety of it. I think the weight is more there in Rogue oh, One. Oh, definitely in Rogue One, yeah, yeah. Because that's what it's about. It's about the struggle against the Empire. But Solo is just, oh shit, the Empire. They're like an inconvenience. Yeah, <laughs> they're, and it's like they're there, but we can work around them. Yeah. But the same, yeah, and that's the thing. What I do, don't get me wrong, I enjoy Solo, and I think it's a really good jumping on point for somebody to get into Star Wars. And that's exactly why, that's how I, I introduced someone to it. It was my brother's girlfriend. Hi, Emily, if you're listening. Um, he hadn't seen this one. I was like, actually, because if you ignore the prequels, which I often tell people to do, this chronologically is the first one, and on that basis, you should watch it first. And people go, oh, that's quite fun. I like that. It's a good jumping on point, like yeah. I said. It sets up, there's an evil empire in the background. It sets up the world a little bit. It sets up, obviously, Han and Chewie. Um, yeah, it's fucking, yeah. Mm. But I think it's a great, it's, it's really good. It's a really good way to get in, get on board with it all. It's really good to sort of get a soft introduction to what the empire are and mm. what they're about. And But you're more introduced to the characters, which, and then here's a little bit of an origin about this, this and this. Yeah, but what I would say is that there are points in it where you're like, it. It's difficult to. It requires extra knowledge. Yeah, well, like because they, when you get to the end of Solo with the mm. person that appears in the hologram, mm. yeah, and you're like, okay, if this is the first time you're watching, you're like, okay, and then you end up watching one of the prequels. You're like, right, so that's that guy from that point. Yeah. It, like, I remember, it won't make sense because it's not explained no. without having to look elsewhere. No, it was literally just fan service that. And it was a case of like, like, I remember again watching it with my brother and my brother sort of turning around and going, hang on, what? Because he'd seen, he'd seen all the films before because mm-hmm. he's my brother. He's been suffering with this shit for years. Poor bastard. Um, but yeah, he, um, he was like, well, hang on, that, that's confusing to me because I didn't, under- when, when is this set then? And it is, yeah, yeah it is confusing. And, but it's not only that, it's like there are, like things that are like emotional payoffs and you, it, you hear it in the score yeah. come through like, oh, this is a big moment. But if you haven't seen anything before, then it doesn't, it's not a big moment. Like I personally, I really love the moment when Han sees the Falcon for the first time. Yeah. And you sit that big swell of music and you see he's fallen in love with his ship. But if you've never seen a Star Wars film before, yeah, that means nothing to you. No. Like the Falcon doesn't even look like the Falcon to begin with anyway. No. Because like, they had to sell a new Lego version of it. It's yeah, it's just one of those weird things, and you're like, it doesn't. It when you start looking at it from a non-Star Wars fan perspective, it yeah. doesn't hold up as well as you'd think. No, and that's I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, is that it was marketed to Star Wars fans for Star Wars fans about Star Wars, mm. and so people that weren't Star Wars fans were like, I don't care. People don't, didn't even know it was out. I don't know it's out. Yeah. I don't know who that is. I don't know what's going on with all of this. Why should I be caring about this? That's because it's sold yeah. as something that you know. Yeah. That's the problem with something like, um, with the, having it be Han as well, because he's such a well-known character and everyone's Harrison Ford. Yeah. Harrison Ford is Han Solo. Yeah. yeah. So you can see trailers on TV and say, there's some random guy that no one's going to make the connection that, oh, Star Wars film. Yeah. Even though he sat next to Chewie. 
like, like all the rest of it. They go, I wouldn't connect that that's Han Solo unless you told me it was Han Solo. Yeah. I'm like, and that's not to say the guy doesn't do a great job. I think he does. He does the best job he possibly could. Yeah, he does do the best job he could, but it's... He's it's, not He's not Harrison Ford. Yeah, it's he, a job that's not required. There's, there's no getting around the fact that it's not Harrison Ford. Yeah. Having said that, I love and I need more in my life of Donald Glover's version of Lando. Yeah. I, but he's the best thing about this film for me. I love Donald Glover's Lando. I really, really, really enjoy... Phoebe Waterbridge's L3. She's great, but she does, yeah, that does like, I don't know. It screams a little too much of the, of the sort of shoehorned in bit of politics, if you know what I mean. Really? D- to me, a little bit, yeah. I, and like, it's not that I don't agree with the politics because that I happen to be a left leaning sort of, mm. you know, whatever. But I, it's just like, I can just see it pissing people off. Really? It's, but it's not organic to the story. It's just, just shoehorned in as a character. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't, I don't know. doesn't really affect the story. It doesn't really have anything to do with anything. It's just I they decided it's... that they needed to have some sort of statement. <coughs> I don't know. I, th- because I think it's... I think that's a little bit of cynicism, in all honesty. Because when I saw it, I was like, this is a droid that before... We know that droids can be sassy and can be cocky and can be funny. Mm. This is the first time we've had a female droid that's been sassy and cocky and funny. It shouldn't feel shoehorned in because we're in Star Wars. No, no, it's not. It's not. And, the, and no. no, no, that's not what I'm saying. But like, this is part of the issue that was around at the time. And then people are like, "Oh, it's just Phoebe Waller-Bridge being a woman and making stupid jokes." And that's not saying that's what you're saying, but that's <laughs> like some of the feedback around. And you're like, "But this is a film that was built around like one of the." the trinity of the characters was Princess Leia, hmm. who was a gobshite who would fight anyone given half the chance and would yeah. shoot anyone as well. She's going to go out there and fight you and she's going to give you some shit about it as well. Yeah. So why are people getting annoyed with that? Yeah, I don't know. I, just, I, think... I thought she was fucking hilarious. But it also did give a little bit of... When 3PO talks in Empire hmm. about... She's got particularly... She's got a very strange dialect. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and she's like, oh, she, I beg your pardon. Yeah. And the way your ship learned to communicate was a very strange diet. Yeah. And it's, it's that little retcon bit in there, in there. That's yeah. cool. Um, I, I know what you mean, but like, I feel like they could have, they could have taken some of those principles and some of that politics or whatever and put it into like, um, Amelia Clark's character mm. or something to have it feel more integrated into the film because of the, because of the way she is as she's like a side character, a sidekick of a sidekick. Yeah. And it just, it does feel because of that, that she's just been sort of plugged in. Yeah. I and she's, know. and she's great. Don't get me wrong. Like, but I like my favorite bit of her is when she's um, cutting through the locks or whatever. Oh yeah. So, I can't perform when you're looking at me. I can feel you looking at me <laughs> like that, that bit. Oh. It's, she's funny. She is genuinely funny. But my like favorite bit is when she's talking to Amelia Clark about, about the relationships. Yeah. Because it's like, there's an extra depth there where you're like, wait, does she genuinely have emotions? Like, mm. I know, like, 3 is like, oh, I can't believe this, and is always a bit like, yeah. oh, my goodness. But at the same time, like, when L3 says something, she's like, it works. Yeah, it Just, works. It wouldn't work, and stuff like that. And you're like, this is an extra level that we're seeing yeah. here. Yeah, true. And it brings in some new stuff, and it goes to explain, I don't know, I think it gives a little bit more credence to... Mm the relationship that both Han and Lando have with yeah. the Falcon. Yeah. 
I fucking love Lando. At least like there's not enough of him in this film. See, that's the thing. Like I struggle. I love Donald Glover. Yeah. I love Childish Gambino's music. I love Donald Glover in pretty much anything that he does. But in this, I was like, he's good, but a little bit less. What, is he overdoing it for you, do you think? Yeah. No, I don't know. Because, like, he's literally twirling his moustache in places. And you're like, okay, like, but you're cool as fuck, but you're not Lando. You're not Billy D. Williams. I don't know. I love it. I love it to a point where like, I wish they'd switched them out and had it be a Lando movie, not Solo. Mm. I, I agree. I think it should have been a Lando movie rather than a Solo movie. But I think there's still that, part of it in this where I'm like, because it would have, having more characteristics to him rather than just being the seedy space pirate. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's the thing. I think Donald Glover has got that. I think His he, best part is when he's falling apart. When what happens to L3 yeah, happens to L3. That's what I mean, yeah. That's his best performance in this entire film. And it's one of the, I remember that being one of the best shots of the film as well. There's that, there's a great action set piece mm-hmm. where he runs in to get her and it's like one long shot mm-hmm. and it's just fucking chaos going everywhere. Yeah. And, but it feels real. Like that's what I like about some of the action in this, again, coming from the prequels. They actually make it feel real. There's not that much action in this movie, but when it does happen, it feels genuine. Like they're actually blowing stuff up and then actually things are happening. Like, so yeah, there's the the shootout that they have at Kessel, yeah, which feels you know full on, and then there's also the scene early on where you see Han fighting for the Empire, and it's yeah. like in the mud and like yeah. f- fucking shit's blowing up, you can't see anything, and it's just it's chaos, and like that feels more like that's the Star Wars that I want to exactly. see stories of, like having just seen the Clone Wars, where everything's just like <laughs> like everything's digital, everything's perfectly in focus all the time because everything's made in the computer, yeah, and then you go to that. Where it's just yeah, it's fucking chaos, and in the middle of all of it, that's where you meet um, what's Woody Harrison's character called? Oh yeah, whatever his name is, Redneck. Redneck man. Um, yeah, you meet him and his crew, um, and he's a good character as well. I feel like there's some of his character, like the um, the John Favreau four armed bloke, is a bit much. Uh, yeah, I I don't know why they put a big name in to play a guy that's not in it for long. No, the well, same with Tandy Newton. Danny yeah. was bloody wasted. Yeah, like, but she's... but again, that's one of those sort of weird, like non-standard narrative behaviours that you would get in something. Because if, in a Star Wars film, you expect John Favreau, Tandy Newton, Woody Harrelson to go the whole distance. Yeah, and then what happens? And you go, okay, nobody's really safe here. Except yeah. for these three characters, yeah, that's the pre- that's the prequel problem that we have with a lot of this. Is that yeah, and same thing with the prequels. So yeah, when you're watching Yoda fight the Emperor at the yeah. end of Revenge of the Sith, you know, well, this is a completely pointless spectacle because I know neither one of you is going to die. Yeah, and there is a little bit of that in this. Like you see, well, like when you see Han or Chewie in danger at any point, you go, "You guys are right," and so is Lando. Like yeah. during the whole like the whole Kettle Run, which is quite a spectacular sequence. I'm never really, as much as it's spectacular and fun to watch, I'm never in fear for the, it's not like the Falcon's about to get swallowed up by a giant monster no. or blown out of the sky because I know there's three <clears> characters <throat> that go on to live for another 30 years Yeah, in, in that in that cockpit. So You know what, I, I, I think a braver decision that they could have made would be to lose the Falcon 1. Yeah. And then have him, and then have Lando lose the second one 
and yeah. be like, this is the Millennium Falcon. Like, introduce it as, this is the Millennium Falcon. And it's not two, it's just what Lando keeps calling his ships. Yeah. And then have the the freighter that we've seen in all the rest of it yeah. be the next one that he has and then have Han win that back just out of sheer pride and bluster because yeah. he's like, actually, you know, I am going to get this ship off you because you cheated before. Now I'm going to cheat. That's what I liked. But there the, the were little bits like that. So with the winning the Falcon, we know that the story in canon is Han won the Falcon from um, Lando in a game of Tabak. Yeah. And Lando thinks he cheated. Yeah. But then, but we know that going in. So when they sat down at the Spark table and they're having that, it's the first time they meet. That is a really cool scene. But again, it, it's good at playing with our expectations because we assume this is where Han wins the Falcon. Mm-hmm. And it's not. They no. save that to the right at the very end. It's like if they, yeah. they sort of bury the lead and do a bait and switch. Um, so there, there are instances where they can use prior knowledge to their advantage. If yeah. You see what I mean? Um, but yeah. <laughs> But then that's the thing, and there are points when you're like, you would expect something to have a little bit more legacy. Yeah. Like his DL-44 blaster, for example. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is a big deal, because this is something that's always been a prop of Han. Yeah. Like, more so than anything else, because he's always had different attire, but his gun has always been the same. It's like Indy's whip. Yeah. And it's just, someone just throws it at him. Yeah. You go, there you go, there's a gun. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, if something needed a little bit more credibility, it would have been, maybe the gun would have. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Like. Or, like, there's stuff that they cut out. Or they So, like, there, there was a scene that got cut, which was meant to be him in the flight academy. Yeah. And he said, all, all that's given to it now is that he has a line where he says, I got kicked out of the flight academy for having a mind of my own. Yeah. And it's like, apparently, the, the story was, or what was meant to happen, and, and they storyboarded it, they might have even filmed it was that he was flying TIE fighters and he chose to help out and save another pilot yeah, rather than complete the mission and get the kill. Yeah. And it's like, right, they should have shown that. Because that's, that's a whole thing about building him as a character mm-hmm. and saying, because in this as well. But also show him being a fucking great pilot. Yeah. Don't just keep telling us. Yeah, although he, he does get to do that in the... Um, he in does the, it in the Kessel in Run. In the Kessel Run. And also, yeah, you get to see... Chewie and him working together as, yeah. a, as a unit, and that's fucking great to see. Um, but yeah, I know it's like one of those. But then there's again, like there's things that you could have that could have been done to add more credibility to that, or add extra sort of gravitas to the situation. So having really struggles a pilot the Falcon on his own, mm. but when Chewie's there, they work together as a unit. They've got that synergy together. Yeah, but you can see him as being a great pilot when he's flying a tie. Yeah. But then when he's in the Falcon, have it a bit more symbiotic. Yeah. Between like all three, like the Falcon, Chewie and Han. Yeah. And it's not even just, it's not even just show the skills like that. It's more, it's the character that I feel they need, they need to get in there because they come to the, towards the end of this movie and you get these like people like Kira or, or whatever, who are like telling him that, no, you're the good guy. Yeah. And you're like, what is that based on? We haven't seen yeah. him do anything noble or good. Yeah. In this, we only know that, Again, because of the context of the movies that come later in the storyline, yeah, exactly. that we've already seen, but we haven't seen this guy do anything selfless and good. He's only ever tried to sort of get out from underneath and sort of sort himself out. Yeah. So that's what again they should have left that scene in the reason he got kicked out of the flight academy 
was because he chose to save someone. Yeah, which they again should have shown more of that. Alludes to the Han who then, because again, there's the the arc in A New Hope is obviously he seems like a ruthless bad guy, but then he comes back at the end because he's really got a heart of gold. Yeah, but we don't really get that in this. We just get told it. Yeah, and then in the final sort of culmination of this whole thing. He does do the right thing and helps out the rebel kids, yeah. or wherever they are, the the raiders. Um, but there's nothing leading up to that. There's no mm-hmm. indication of him being that way inclined. He just yeah. does it, just because the script said so, and it's like, Neh. yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, there's the kids. I do. The other thing I love about this one as well is that um, Paul Bettany. I. Couldn't care that Paul Bettany was in there. But he's so good, though. He's having so much fun. <laughs> like, also, this this is something that I agree with Mark Kermode, is that there's often times when somebody's having the most fun on screen just doesn't lead to a good performance. Okay. Point in case for me is all of the Fast and Furious films. Right, yeah. Like the first two, three. The first one, people were like, we want to make a film. The second one... They wanted to make an anime. The third one, they were like, okay, let's take this back, try and make a different film. But then it all became become yeah. silly. And there, there are points when you're like, I'm glad everyone's having such a lovely holiday and you get to have some takes of a film in this. But just do a bit more. Come on. Yeah. Like, and that's what I felt with Paul Bettany in this. Yeah. Is that he just felt very camp. He felt like he was everything was an extra flourish. Well, Except when you see him at the end and he's vicious. Yeah. And you're like, I wanted to see more of that before. Yeah, it's because he only got this thing. You can tell from it that he like he basically came in and filmed for like two days, which he did. Yeah, yeah. That was Michael it. K. Williams was the the villain before. Yeah, and they who can't... couldn't come back because of scheduling. Yeah, so they they literally came. He came in last minute, and he sort of he's just this sort of arrogant sort of arsehole. Yeah, mid level gangster. Yeah, sort of fixer guy. But yeah. I, I, I kind of it felt a little flat to me. I don't know. I, I liked it. I, I thought it was yeah. good. Um, and that's that's what's interesting about these is that because you and I often agree on most things, as you guys will, as the readers will know from listening to us constantly, we agree on a lot of this stuff. But it's interesting, especially with like Star Wars stuff, when we when we disagree mm. because of how important it is to us. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't. I don't passionately disagree. It's not like I think he's Oscar worthy. Or oh no, like no, that. no, no just, I just I but find that's... him really fun to watch. Yeah, and I just find him a bit limp. Yeah, and it's just it's, I just think it's interesting. Mm. Um, um, but yeah, and I think it's kind of it with Solo, isn't it? I mean, there, yeah. there there's the failed missed opportunity where at the very end of this they have this sort of tease where they bring back Darth Maul. Yeah. So the idea is that, like, say, um. Dryden Voss. Dryden Voss, who's um, Paul Bettany's character, is this mid-tier level guy on this in this crime syndicate called Crimson Dawn, and you find out who he's reporting to at the end because Kira kills him, Emily Amelia Clark's character, and then she calls up the chain to his boss to find out who it is, and it's a big reveal. Holy shit! It's Darth Maul. Yeah, and for fans, it's a big. I remember being like fucked, like shocked in the cinema, like oh shit, okay. Um, because it's Darth Maul, they've like... It's got legs. He's got like metal legs because that's something they did in the Clone Wars TV show, they brought him back. But now they're actually acknowledging it in a live action film. They're bringing him back and saying, no, he's alive. Last time we saw him, obviously, was in episode one. And now that... And they've got... He's here and he's, you know, creating mm. these... And again, part of the storyline in the Clone Wars was that he was building crime syndicates and sort of 
living out on the edge. And the sort of the rumor was the idea they were going to do was that they were going to have this, they were going to have a Boba Fett movie, and they were going to have a Obi Wan Kenobi movie. And the thing that was going to connect all three of them was that they were going to have this crime syndicate yeah. being run by Darth Maul going throughout all of them. Yeah. And it would culminate in Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul rematch in the Obi-Wan movie. Yeah. That all got shelved and completely scrapped. Yeah. So what it ends up being is that there's this weird little cameo at the end of this movie, which doesn't really go anywhere, just leaves people confused. Yeah. And it and it is like there are silly elements of it. Like when he just he stands up and he he gets the double ended lightsaber and turns it on, like, why? Why are you doing that? Like just yeah. just to make it clear to everyone who hasn't figured it out already, this is Darth Maul. Is yeah. that guy with a double ended lightsaber from Yeah. Like Like we we get you really like posturing, but you might have learned a lesson before. Yeah. <laughs> or did you just really want to show this girl your lightsaber? Yeah. Like Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so that's kind of it for like like I it's fun yeah and it's harmless but it is ultimately I'd say probably the most forgettable yeah. Star Wars that, that, entry that's so his, far it's biggest um, yeah it's biggest scene is being forgettable mm. which you, no Star Wars should be ever forgettable really no um, but yeah but before that we had the first Star Wars story which we were all a little bit so yeah Rogue One Rogue One a Star Wars Rogue One <laughs> a star, a star, a star war, a star war with the with star, star wars. Star I wars. fucking love this film. Rogue One's great. Rogue One is one of the only things that like is like universally as well. Like the, again, this is like this is a dark, divisive time for Star Wars fandom. Mm. A lot of people are anti Disney. A lot of people that you know they're like George never should have sold it. It's you know whatever. But one thing everyone agrees on, everyone loves is Rogue One. Yeah, Rogue One's like, great. It's it's, and I said to this to you too at the time, like, Rogue One to me is the most Star Wars movie. Yeah. Because of what happens in it. Like, yeah. this is what I want to see from a Star Wars story yeah. story. Yeah. I want to know this stuff. Like, when we're talking about, like, the Death Star plans and how they got them. Yeah. You're like, that's just a line yeah. before... This isn't like fan speculation or story or canonical history of Han. This is a line that we've got a few bits about here and there, but we've now gone in and really sort of fully fleshed this out with new characters and new things yeah. and interesting turnarounds and sassy droids and all this extra level that's in there. And it's just like, this is fucking brilliant. This is what I want yeah. from a new Star Wars film. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it, it's like it rides that really fine line of being like, of like you say, it's playing on canon and things that we know, but also being its own thing. Yeah. And it's got, it rides it really, really like spot on to me, mm -hmm. a lot better than Solo did. Solo relied too much on prior knowledge, whereas this one, if you've got prior knowledge, it helps, but the rest of it, it tells its own story yeah. with its own set of characters. And you can watch it again if you were someone to jump on board immediately having never seen it. You could watch this one, and you'd want to what you want to go. Oh shit! What then? What? Well, like, funny you should say that. If we pop the next one in, it immediately picks up after exactly. this one. And I love the way that yeah, obviously this film is like Tom said, it's about how the the rebels found the plans to the Death Star, yeah, which then becomes the MacGuffin for the entirety of the first original Star Wars movie. So Star Wars: A New Hope is all about after DC's got the plans to the Death Star, everyone's after the plans to the Death Star. 
and it's that stand is the whole bit, film was built around that but how did we get them in the first place rogue one rogue one is how yeah and it's about like again it's like this down and dirty like the this rebel alliance of just these the random bunch of people who were just like scrabbling together anything they can on the edges of the galaxy yeah fighting against this fucking vast and all-powerful so empire omnipresent as well yeah and just the just the scale the way they do the empire in this is i think the best they've ever been depicted just like gareth edwards is great with showing you a sense of scale yeah and he nailed that with godzilla and he's brought that in here and there are just some shots i remember seeing in the trailer when you saw like the, the star destroyer coming out from under the shadow of the of the death star as they're lowering the death star's like gun yeah. into place and it's like fuck it just feels scary like when you see that like that shot of the the star destroyer just hanging over Jeddah. yeah and it's just like can you imagine literally like when they say living under the shadow of the empire they mean literally living under yeah. the shadow of the empire it's like you can't see the sky because there's a giant fuck like yeah i love it I, yeah it's all it's the imagery and the way they go about it is so fucking good it's so so good it really is it's and without getting into too much that's the plot is that is these rebels led by jin urso jin urso yeah are trying to get the the plans to this from this one place to the next place and along the way, they build a merry band of rebels and shenanigans ensue. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, they, but there's a lot of relationship building in this. Yeah, I think that that's the thing that what they the, what they cleverly do is they have this whole thing with the, the Urso family, if you like. So, as Jin is our central character who we follow, but it's about the reason that she's our central character because her father is the man behind the Manhattan Project. Essentially, he's yeah. the man Galen Urso. Galen Urso, played by Mads Mikkelsen, is the man who the empire have enlisted to create the death star. So he's yeah. like the destroyer of worlds, but they've done this really like, that's the best sort of thing they did in terms of twisting the cannon is that they made him this reluctant, like yeah. under the cosh guy, not a, like every other emp- Imperial officer we've ever seen has been this maniacal British sort of like yeah. evil bastard. But it turns out, no, there's some people who I'm just a scientist. And in this world, I've been sort of railroaded into doing something I don't want to have to do. Yeah. And then he has this amazing, this great bit of retconning where it's like, okay, given that that's the scenario, he creates a flaw. He hides a weak point. He hides a weak point and there's a flaw in the machine. And that's the reason. So there's this bit, this plot point that's like people have been debating and like talking about how silly it is mm. that there's this giant Death Star and the guys are able to just shoot one particular thing in a hole and it blows up the whole thing. Ah, oh, that's a bit convenient, isn't it? Yeah. And then now, 40 years later, they've written a film that explains it. Yeah. And explains it in a way that is true to a character and is like emotional and like and it's got depth to it. I was like, fuck me, that's like... But it has <laughs> reasoning, it has yeah. understanding, it has legacy. It just all comes together. Yeah. And it's... We're saying about like, the retcons and like the things going back, like there are a couple of points here and there where we're talking about like the weaponized nostalgia again. Yeah. Where you're like, okay. Yeah. The, there, there are a few in this one where I think the, the most, pre- the, the one that I think nearly broke you as a person was R2 and 3PO. Yeah. Because it's bollocks. It doesn't make any sense. There's no reason for them to be there. They shouldn't be there. They should be on the ship with fucking Leia, shouldn't they? And if they're on the ship with Leia, then they can't also be on Yavin. It doesn't make any sense. Yavin it doesn't make any... Yavin 4, I know. 
It's the, it's the moon of Yavin. I know that. I'm not a fucking idiot. Well, <laughs> come on. Do it right then. Um, they can't also be there and then also be on the ship with Leia at the end. It doesn't make any sense. Mm. The ship with Leia at the end on its own doesn't really make any sense because Bale sends off for her. Yeah. And then suddenly she's there in the middle of the battle, docked in the main mothership that Admiral Radis took there mm. and launches from it. Like, did she go and dock afterwards whilst the battle was happening? Or oh, did she go with him? Oh, I don't know. doesn't make any sense. That's the one sort of bit that does. there's a bit of a flaw in the whole scheme. But it's cool because of the way the film ends. Um, yeah, no, I hate that. I hate R2 and 3PO. And I hate... Um, what's the name of the guy who the Obi-Wan cuts his arm off? Oh, Plombaba. Plombaba. <laughs> hey, you just watch yourself. Why? Why put why that? Why? Fuck off. I hate that. <laughs> it really annoys me. Yeah. That was played by Michael Smiley. Yeah. Who was tires in space. Is that who it is? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, you lucky, lucky people. You lucky, lucky people. Oi, oi. Oi, No. A banana. Um, anyway. No, him and, yeah, and, like, and then they're just there for, <laughs> for no reason. They bump into him on the street. It doesn't add anything to the story. It's literally just, eh, you like that, don't you, nerds? Don't you, eh, you like that? Eh, I hate it. I hate it. But the ones I do like, and I think are fucking brilliant and really made me smile, and yeah, I do like it. I am a nerd. <laughs> it's um, Gold Leader and Red Leader. Yeah, Gold Leader and Red, Red Leader, Red Five. Red Five, getting his ass kicked. <laughs> getting blown up. <laughs> um, um, little things like, like Blue that. Blue Squadron. Blue Squadron, I fucking, I love Blue Squadron. Yeah. Um, um, hashtag remember Blue Squadron getting to see the Phantom yeah the Phantom or the Ghost no the Ghost sorry it, the sorry. Ghost in the background and Chopper you see yeah and there's a call on the on the radio for um, General Sendula yeah who's these are all references to the Rebels TV show yeah uh, which is very well loved and is brilliant to be fair if you ever get a chance um, the, and the, uh, yeah done by Dave Filoni Dave Filoni also did some of the Mandalorian stuff that we've never seen yes um, so he, he's sort of another bit of a becoming a bit of a godfather of Star Wars now. Yeah. He was sort of George Lucas's protege. Yeah. Um, took on the Clone Wars, made the Clone Wars TV show really good. Um, and then went on to make Rebels and is now going into live action with The Mandalorian. And we hear good things. Um, yes, what I've heard. I wouldn't know. It's not out in this country. No. Um, but yeah, Rogue One. And again, it's, it's a really strong collection of characters. I love um, K2SO. Mm-hmm. Alan Tudyk. Fucking great. Again, another sassy droid. Like they they do feel like they have to have that sassy droid, but he was great. He was good. He was great. But he was he wasn't in like the same way. He was I really like the dryness that yeah. they bring to it. The the, the dry cut humour and personality behind them all. So like L three, for example, has a different sense of humour to R two and different sense of humour to three PO mm. and a different sense of humour to like K two. Like, K2 is played for laughs, but he is not a humorous character. No. He just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Which is brilliant, because he's not got that emotional range. No. Whereas L3 does, and yeah. plays on that. Yeah. Which is what I really enjoy. Mm. But also, he's a fucking unit as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I love that he gets to kick some ass. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's great, and it's good design. Um you also get Cassian Andor, mm-hmm. um, who's a really good character and really interesting. Like again, they introduce him quite early on in the movie because we have this opening scene where it's um, 
Jin as as a child, and then this and Ben Mendelsohn's character comes and takes her father away. Yeah, and then it cuts forward, and it does. It is a bit jumpy at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, it jumps around from place to place. Oh yeah, like and it's I love much. this film. It's it's not perfect. Like it's no. really jumpy at the start. It sags in the middle. Yeah, and then it's just pure ridiculous excitement and oh yeah, like the, fi- the, the final forty five minutes is just fucking phenomenal. Um, from the moment they land on Scarif, basically. Pretty much, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the opening bit, like they're jumping around quite a lot, but I really do love the introduction of Cassian mm-hmm. as a character. Yeah. Because they've got this whole thing where he goes to and finds the guy and it's Daniel Mays, who's like yeah. in every British TV show ever made, um, who tells him about the, you know, what's going on with the Empire and the fact that there's, there's this defector, this pilot who's got a message and all the rest of it. Tells him about a planet killer weapon. They they're, they're about to get cornered by a bunch of stormtroopers, and there's no way out of it. What are we going to do? And um, Cassian just goes, "Relax, relax, don't worry about it." Shoots the guy in the back, and then and then climbs away. Safety. Yeah. That's a villain's introduction. Yeah, and I'm like immediately, I'm like, "Oh, I like this. Mm-hmm. I like this because this I like." And then you go. That's how you introduce this character. So already we're on the back foot. We're like, oh, "Well, I know he's a." Obviously, a rebel. He's a rebel officer. He's not even like because in Star Wars there, there there have been some morally grey characters before, like particularly Han and Lando are like yeah. your, your sort of morally grey. But we've never had someone who was morally grey, who was a devoted member of the good guys military side. If you so, yeah. so we never had like the, the rebel like the same with like Poe Dameron, for instance. Mm-hmm. Poe Dameron isn't a he's not a scoundrel in the same way because he believes in the cause. Yeah, and he's a good guy. Whereas this guy is like. He believes in the cause, but he does bad things. Oh yeah, he, but he's he. That's what I like about Cassian is that he shows this extra dimension to the rebels mm. because they are always shown as like these glossy underdogs, and they're like, oh, they have to get around in their stunt fighters, and they're all a bit mixed and matched, and oh, you know, none of them really have the same costume and outfit and uniform. But they're all plucky, and they'll you know they'll rise well, up and be the underdogs. Well, do the right thing. Yeah. Whereas this guy will come and cut your throat in your sleep. Yeah. But like, and that's it's played throughout the whole movie as well because there's him, there's Saul Guerrero who is like a militant fucking crazy dude yeah. who like broke with a rebellion. That's like causing loads of problems to, for people. Yeah. And like, and it's like this kind of just brute force and militarism isn't always. The, He's the like solution. an extremist. He's an extremist, and so there's that. And then there's also even like the the commander guy. I can't remember the name of him now, um, but there's a, the commander who sits around the table um, and gives Cassian his orders. Like when he goes, yeah. when Cass, they're going on the mission. Originally, the mission is set out to be: Oh, we're going to go and find Galen Erso, capture him, bring him back, so he can testify in the Senate mm-hmm. and let everyone know about it. And then, like off books behind closed doors, they have this shady conversation with the commander. Goes, forget what you heard. You find him, you kill him. Yeah, and again, it's like this is the Rebel Alliance. Yeah, they're meant to be about you know peace, truth, truth and justice, justice in the rebellious way. Exactly, like you, they're meant to be about you know I believe in the Republic and democracy, <laughs> but they're like no, this is war. Fuck him. It's like yeah, that's kind of what it would be like. Yeah, like okay, I'm totally down for this. this yeah, he's like, done. Um. Yeah, and I, I really like that element of, and, they, and like I say, it's layered in throughout the entirety of the movie. The whole thing of like, if they get the opportunity again, the same guy then sends the bombers after them, yeah, and goes, "No, fuck it, blow them up, blow them up." We got to, it's the greater good, and he's right. 
Like he's, he's right, he's, and that's the way that these things would kind yeah. of happen and have yeah. happened. Like sometimes you do leave an agent down behind lines. You yeah. do leave them to it when you know it's plausible deniability. You're like, yeah. don't know, don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, a British spy behind enemy lines. Don't, don't know what you're talking about. If, yeah, if you're captured or kills, we will deny all knowledge of your yeah, existence. Sort exactly. Of thing. It's like, and that's like, I want to see more of that in Star Wars mm-hmm. as well. Like, they're talking about Cassian's meant to be getting a, his own TV show. Yeah. I'm really down for that. That's a really cool idea because, again, it's like it's like espionage thriller, mm-hmm. but in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah, there's yeah. so much that can be done with Star Wars that isn't... This is, this is another thing that we'll get to when we get to the sequel trilogy as well. Mm. Uh, there's so much more that can be done with the Star Wars universe that can be really, really effective. Mm. And like you say, like that is one thing that I'm like, I really want to see that. Yeah, I really. It was like the thirteen thirteen game yeah. that they were talking about, which was a video game that was being developed, a single player video game, which was going to be this expansive RPG that was set in the grimy underworld of the Star Wars universe with bounty hunters and. It was going to be on Coruscant, which we haven't really seen that much of, and yeah, and then it got scrapped like three quarters of the way through production. Yeah, I think. Well, wasn't that part of the, because of the Disney buyout? <coughs> no, was it not? Was it before that? No, it, it just got scrapped because Amy um, Hennig was on it. That's who was behind Uncharted and stuff. Right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so she was like that. That whole thing was just like just cut the head off it. Yeah. And it was partly with the fallout of like Battlefront and stuff, and that mm. was another reason why there was such a bad taste in so many people's mouths around Battlefront 2. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that's but that's the strength of this film, is that it plays with these grey areas, and it plays with these new elements that we didn't really have before. Mm. We had them in like tiny little ways, as you said, like with Lando and Han, but not ever with like a protagonist or the second lead character where you're like, I don't know if I trust that guy. Yeah, yeah, and like, and again, they have this. They have a. There is. I wish there was more character development, though. Much as the, the they are great, I did, there are moments where, in terms of them as a team, I feel yeah. we could have used more character development. Yeah, and like there are things like towards the end, there's a bit where um, Baze calls um, Jin little sister. Yeah, and it's like you haven't earned that. Yeah, you've had like two conversations, maybe. Like you, you can't, and the same with like Bodhi. Um, um, he could have been a great protagonist, I think. So Bodhi is the guy played by Riz Ahmed, mm. and he like tells this story about how Galen came to him and said, "Look, you can do right by yourself yeah. if you're brave enough, and you can." But like, I want to see that scene. Don't tell me about it. Yeah, tell like he could have been like our jumping on point. We could have seen it from his point of view. Yeah, that could have been the first scene that we got post time jump. Yeah, post yeah. flashback. Um. And like, yeah, and there's things like that where like, I feel like, Bo- like, because a lot of the time Bodhi, like, is, Rizzo then is a little bit wasted because he has to just do a lot of exposition and plot stuff about, like, yeah. we've got to get this comms tower plugged into over here and then we go under here and then we transmit this signal over and it's all just, like, transactional, like, mm-hmm. things that have to happen because of the plot. Yeah. And it's like, Rizzo can give you more than that if you give him the opportunity. And Yeah. yeah. Or, um, you know, you could put him in Venom. Yeah, you could do that. <laughs> Mads Mikkelsen does a great job. Yeah. Again, doesn't get a lot of screen time, but like there was, there's one particular scene where he's a hologram. Yeah. And he gives his whole exposition and he manages to pack in a load of stuff in a very short period of time. Forrest Whitaker is bizarre. Yeah, we could go on all night about Forrest Whitaker in this. 
but I think we should probably save that for another yeah, day. Yeah, I mean, because Forrest Whitaker is kind of an interesting point as well, because this is another film that there was a lot of reshoots. Yeah. And things changed. Forrest Whitaker being one of the ones that people point to, because in the original trailer that came out for this, he was bald. Yeah. And then in the final version of the movie, he has like big, crazy, frizzy hair. Yeah. And it's like, okay, it's slightly different. But there's lots of stuff that was in that original trailer that never ended up in the movie. Mm. Like there's bits of them running on the beach with the Death Star plans in our hand whilst there's a fucking AT-AT coming at them. And like this really striking imagery. Yeah. And like a bit where a TIE fighter comes up and faces off against her. None of that ended up in the final no. film. And that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about is that this film was taken away from Gareth Edwards. Yeah. At a fairly big point. Yeah. And it wasn't done with the same spectacle or the same drama that Han was taken away from. No, because no one knew about it. It was still, it still got his name attached to it. It still got his name attached to it. But it was a case of, they were like, right, well, this is ours. You're doing a lot for it, but this is ours. This is the Disney method that they have. Oh. Um, which is something that we'll come to talk about when we look at Black Widow next year with Disney, mm. is like there's a lot of stuff in there which is really, really, really interesting to unpick. But they did take a lot of this stuff away mm. and they said, right, we are doing this and then low-key brought in this other guy. Yeah. <coughs> who did pretty much the entire final act. Yeah. But then, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it swings around, it's... It's weird because I feel like the the ending of the movie was what Gareth Edwards had in mind because I remember that being talked about mm-hmm. and he's talked about how because again this we're going to spoil this movie but it's you know is what it is um, his idea for it and that he pitched to them was that oh no everyone's going to die at the end yeah and he assumed that Disney wouldn't let him do that and then Disney went no yeah cool yeah and he was like oh okay yeah. So I feel like that, given that that was the final, the end point, I feel like they, although they changed things around in terms of the logistics of it, mm. maybe they did things to like save money in the budget or whatever. That's the thing. A lot of it was already there. But like, I don't know what, they clearly, yeah, they changed the third act, but they can't change it that drastically. I feel like the, the end result was always going to be everyone dies, Leia gets the plans. Yeah. So what did they do? Yeah, that's the thing. And that's I one don't thing know. that we'll never find We'll out. never know. But I feel because like yeah, hard locked away in the Disney vault. It's not like it's not like Gareth Edwards had a version where they all went off and lived happily ever after. No, that, this was die. always the intention. Yeah. So what did they do? But apparently, it was a case of like they did bring in this other guy who did probably forty percent of the film. Yeah. And isn't really he's just like he's like a cinematographer. A I think it's Tony Gilroy. Isn't it? Yeah. Who's like I think he's a writer as well. He's, he's yeah. A, yeah. So he changed up like quite a lot of how this film was, which yeah. is really interesting. But there's so little information there that we can't really expand on it, which no. is a bit of a shame because yeah. it would be a really interesting story. It will probably come out in 25 years, like yeah. But um, but yeah, overall, like I mean, we, the the end we can talk about, but there's only so much you can say that it is just. This spectacular... It, yeah, it's some of the best um, space battles in Star Wars we've yeah. ever seen. And, like, anything with X-Wings, like, I've got a big fucking thing for X-Wings, as you mm-hmm. know. Like, it just, it makes me so happy. Yeah. Just the sounds they make and just seeing them, fr- and, like, seeing it in all its glory. Like, when I'm, like you say, when you're watching stuff like that, it's like, this is what George Lucas intended. If he'd had the technology when he made 
the first one, mm-hmm. this is what the battle would look like. Yeah. And it's like, yes, right, we've got there now. It's taken this long, but we finally got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, yeah, and it's like, it's the rebels, it's like, and they, and you start realizing what's happening as well. You have that emotional payoff where they, the characters that we've grown to know. So again, we haven't really talked about um, Chirrut and Baze. No. Who are these guys who, they're not Jedi. No, they're the Guardians of the Wills. Which, again, is the first time that Wills ever gets mentioned. The Wills yeah. get mentioned, and that's a big part of Star Wars lore. It's like well, that's what the original Jedi were going to be. Anakin, Starkiller, the S- Star Wars, and the Legend of the Wills? Something, or something like that. It's some big thing, but yeah. They're these Anakin guys... Anakin, Starkiller, Guardian of the Wills, or yeah. something like that. And they're these guys who are, like, they protect the Jedi Temple. They're Force-sensitive. Yeah. But they're not Jedi. Yeah. Um, and they're fucking great. Donnie Yen is mm-hmm. a fucking beast. He's brilliant. He's amazing. It would again. It's, he's really fun as well. Yeah. yeah, like he's a really interesting and unique character because we haven't had like a martial artist in a Star Wars film. No, but but it's done in a way that it doesn't feel contrived. No, because it's not like he's not over the top with it. It's not like he has ridiculous fight sequences. He has a couple of really cool bits. Yeah, but then the rest of it is like. Yeah, he's like he's a monk who's meditating, and mm-hmm. and and then he goes about why he's meditating, and how, and like the, the relationship between him and Baze is great. They have this like bickering sort of, yeah, almost like a married couple. Yeah, and there has been like fan theories about they actually they were a couple. Uh, but they, in, honestly, in my head, they were. Yeah, and the more the, watching it again, I'm like, yeah, actually, yeah, I can see that. Um, and but then, yeah, I still feel the same way about Poe and Finn. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm genuinely shipping those two as a couple. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and I'm gonna stick with it until I'm proven otherwise. Yeah. Um but they're great. And yeah, so like they're some of the first sacrifices that you see. Mm. And there's that amazing moment where it's that I am one with the force and the force is with me as he walks out into gunfire. Yeah. And just they just keep missing him out of just pure like fate. And is it's it just, luck? Is it fate? Is it the force? Is it the force? Yeah, the force. But you is don't with me. know. Yeah. Um and then he goes and he dies in his arms and it's really it's like that's really emo and then you start clocking on that. Oh shit! And then Bodhi goes. Bodhi finally gets the message through and says, "This is for you, Galen." And then someone throws a grenade in there. Yeah. And he just has this one moment of realization, and then the whole fucking thing blows up. And he's just like, "Oh shit! They're gonna kill them all." Yeah. Oh my god! They're gonna kill them all. And then obviously the the, the most impactful one, yeah, is the, right at the very end. You get fucking Jin and uh, Cassian just holding each other on the beach. Yeah. As they're annihilated by the as the the horizon disappears, and it's like. This is a kids. This is a Star Wars film. Yeah, fucking hell! Holy shit! And yeah, that like that blew me away. That was I couldn't believe that they went there and did that. Oh, I um, loved it. Yeah, like, so like, so uh, that was when I was, that elevated the whole fucking thing for me as a movie. It was just like this is great and the spectacle's amazing and all the rest of it. But when that started happening, I was and I was just like, and then on top of that, then they had the Vader scene. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which again, it's just pure fanboy f- like, wish fulfillment. Darth Vader is my favourite character in Star Wars, and just to see that happen, just fucking blew my mind. Because yeah. I didn't know, like there was people, there were people that knew, there were people that were like, I was this, that, and the other. And when I saw it happen, I was just like, holy shit! This is what I've been waiting my entire Star Wars yeah. life for. Yeah. And it's just this this amazing tense sequence. It's probably only like thirty seconds worth of film. Maybe that. Barely maybe, anything. maybe a minute. And it's just Vader in this narrow corridor, just annihilating these rebels. 
and just and it's like a horror film. Yeah. It's like they're, they're struggling to get out and say, help us, help us, as he's like pulling the guns out of their hands, he's choking them, he's throwing them, like, and it's like, holy fuck. Yeah. This is the Vader we always thought that he was. Like, we've never seen Vader really be a full-on badass. No. We've only ever seen him fight one-on-one with Luke. Yeah. And this is what he's like if you unleash him on the fucking battlefield. It's like, fuck. Yeah, when he's fully charged up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, an amazing way to end the movie. And then, obviously, it, then you get... There's uh, <sighs> the one thing that does bug me, and it's the Uncanny Valley. Yeah. And I do... It's worse... It's almost worse with Leia, um, because we know her so well, but I also feel it really bad in with talking. Yeah, and that's that's that that, that like I said, you, where we're saying about this not be really being a perfect film. It's those are the things. That, there are yeah. things in there that don't really work. That's like, one of them for me. That was something that was a proof of concept that somebody's done. They've gone, you know what? I think we should run with it. That'll do. That looks really great, and it's mm. like it's not really good enough. Like no, it's, it's, it's like, not quite there. It's not no. Michael Douglas in Ant Man. No, no, because at the end of the day, you're bringing a dead man back to life. Mm. Michael Douglas, you're you're just putting dots on a living man and yeah, changing yeah. His, the way his face looks. What you're doing with this is you're imposing someone else's face on a different actor. Yeah, but the guy this, that they yeah, this is, but like they, they had a guy that looked quite a lot like him. Yeah, and was doing the voice. And they did like a digital facelift on him, which would have which was quite good. But then they when they went back, yeah, it's the first scene they kind of just about got away with it because a lot like when they first showed him, he's he's reflected in glass. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit, it's Tarkin. Yeah, oh that's really cool. And he has a scene, gives Ben Mendelsohn's character a load of shit, sends him off. I'm yeah. like, okay, cameo done. And then they bring him back, and he has a full scene, mm. and they have an argument, and you're like, okay. And then they bring him back again, and it's like, and the, I think the biggest let down for me it's not so much that it's it takes you out of the film because it looks weird it's also the fact that it upstages Ben Mendelsohn yeah because Ben Mendelsohn it kind of sidelines him it doesn't really upstage him because he's putting in a great performance he is but like he's at the same time he's being sidelined by a cartoon by a dead man yeah I mean like he's and and it happens there's a few scenes like he only has a certain amount of screen time and a lot of it he has to share either with a Peter Cushing stand-in or Vader. Mm. And it's like, his best scenes are when neither of those are there. Like with his- I loved, I do really enjoy the scene with him and Vader though because it does sort of prove him as just like being a snivelling whelp. It does, but then- he's just like, oh, am I still going to get credit? And you're like, you fucking slimy bastard. True, but then- You're, you're fucking gross. Yeah. But then with that, like my, my biggest takeaway from that is like, has James Earl Jones forgotten how to do Vader's voice? Yes, he has. That's that was what I was thinking about. I wasn't it's like really Anthony thinking about Daniels forgot how to do C three PO in the Force Awakens. That's what I mean. Like I'm so I'm watching that and I'm not really thinking about because now I'm just oh oh my god, Vader, Vader. Like I'm just I've completely forgotten about the other guy mm. in the room sort of thing. And that's a shame because whenever he is the main guy in the room, so like the opening sequence where he's threatening Galen mm-hmm. um and has that whole back and forth, that's amazing. Is Ben Mendelssohn like a, full Mendo level yeah and then again like towards the end where he's like in charge on Scarif yeah and shouting people down and like and just like he has so many great little throwaway lines like yep when Mendelssohn tries to um make out that his wife died and then she turns up he's like oh look it's Lyra back from the dead it's a miracle (laughs) and it's like oh you're having so much fun but you're also like he's the 
Yeah, he, he's he's similar to Paul Bettany, but he's got more gravitas to him. He's got more like yeah, and like, again, like when he has that scene on the landing platform with um, Galen, he gets mm-hmm. up in his face and he said, "This is what I've done. I've taken away their holy city. I've taken away this. I've done that." And he's like, he's reveling in like and like yeah. pushing this guy's buttons. It's like that's a really great villain. But again, you didn't let him run with all the screen time because you kept yeah. putting him like making him second fiddle to the other characters <coughs> yeah so that's a bit of a shame like you say it is but but overall like this is a great film oh yeah like undeniably it's yeah it's it's great from what it introduces what it brings in the separation that it has with the norm and the familiarity it doesn't involve the force it doesn't involve a skywalker really no it doesn't involve too much this, that, or the other that we're going to be that sort of like relied on knowledge. No, it explains to you early on what it's going to do, and then it pays it off. Yeah, and you get there, and in in the meantime, you just strap in and go along with the journey. Yeah, and that's what I love about it. Yeah, but yeah, and I think I think that's kind of wraps it up. For me. Yeah, like, and and like I say, it's a great like I said to watch these two back to back is a perfect setup for the original trilogy. Yeah, it gets everything that it lets you know exactly how this universe operates. It tells you what's going on down on the ground with the real with the people, yeah, and it lets you know what's going on in the wider like galactic yeah. struggle. And it sets everything up. It keys everything and it's like, right, this is what's happening. There's a big time gangster putting a job together on Tatooine. We're gonna go check it out. Okay, we've got the plans for the Death Star. We're off. Okay, next film. Yeah. Like we're ready. <laughs> like yeah. what what happens next? And the and both those those two plots that we've seen now sort of collide in the next movie, which is A New Hope. Where we get back to Luke and we get back to the Skywalkers and we get back to the main story. Um so we're gonna get into those next week. We're gonna yeah, talk we about are. the original trilogy, which I'm sure we're gonna talk a lot about. Um they are yeah, they're the films that are massively formative <laughs> yeah. in our lives. And, and we are gonna try and keep it shorter. Yes. Than- as short as we possibly can. Yeah, we're aware that we went on a bit too much about the prequels. <laughs> yeah. I'm not proud of it, but it is what it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's been, it's done, it happened, let's move on. Uh, so yeah, I think that wraps it up. Yeah. So if you are um, if you aren't already, follow us on all the socials. So that's Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Just look at the Omcast for that and you'll find us. Um, the Omcast pod at gmail.com if you want to drop us an email about anything. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean... Just drop us a line. Give us a like and review if this is your first time. Yeah. That's really, really important for us to sort of keep up there with any sort of rankings that we have as we go through. And uh, we'll see you next week for the original trilogy. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Bye. Bye. Do you know a funny story? What? Do you know why I keep saying that? Hand Solo is forgettable. Because I watched Han Solo, then I watched Rogue One, and I was like, oh, I've got to watch Han, and then put Han on again. Because I forgot I'd watched it that day. Fuck me. And That's I was just like, oh, no, I did watch it. I got about 10 minutes, 15 minutes in, and I was like, this feels really familiar. You're, yeah, you have weird... It's like, it's like your brain doesn't want to process it. No. Because it's weird. not that forgettable. I mean, I mean, it's still a Star Wars film, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but it's just... I don't know, it's weird. Yeah. It just, I don't know, it just, like I said, it just sort of keeps, I just keep forgetting it ever happened. 